0: Let's read together God's Word, Genesis 5, beginning in verse 1. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them and he blessed them and named them man when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. The days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years and he had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. When Seth had lived 105 years, he fathered Enosh. Seth lived after he fathered Enosh 807 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. When Enosh had lived 90 years, he fathered Kenan. Enish lived after he fathered Kenan 815 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enish were 905 years and he died. When Kenan had lived 70 years, he fathered Mahalel. Kenan lived after he fathered Mahalel 840 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Kenan were 910 years and he died. When Mahalel had lived 65 years, he fathered Jared. Mahalel lived after he fathered Jared 830 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of him were 895 years, and he died. I thought if I had to say that name one more time, I was going to really... I probably already goofed it up. Mark Fitata will be here next week preaching, and we can ask him how to uh, pronounce that. When Jared had lived 162 years, he fathered Enoch. Lamech lived after he fathered Noah 595 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. After Noah was 500 years old, Noah fathered Shem, Ham, and Japheth. This is the word of God. Let's pray together. Father, as we come to your word, I do pray that your words would be mine, that you would speak through me today, that you would... Uh, guard my tongue that I would not say anything improper or unfit, that you would use this, your word, this genealogy, to encourage us, to instruct us, and to increase our faith in Christ today. So give us eyes to see and teach our hearts. By your spirit we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, like I said, this is possibly a strange Passage in terms of what we think about when we think of sermons. Uh, Why preach through this? Why not just skip over it? Why not just miss it? Well, I think that it's here for a reason, uh, and you can probably guess what that is. It's not a big surprising reason. There's no, uh, you're not going to be shocked or anything uh, by that. But we need to hear this. We need to see this. We need to be reminded of this, and hopefully. By the end of today's sermon, we will all be encouraged in that way. So the big picture to keep in mind in this genealogy is the thread that runs through it. The promise that was given to the woman that from her would come one, her seed, who would redeem this curse that has come. And so last week, or two weeks ago, we looked at two ways to live, and we looked at the line of Cain and that genealogy, And today we're looking at the genealogy of Seth. This is the other way to live. And this genealogy shows that thread that's running through. It ends in this text with Noah, but we know that it continues. And if you go to the Gospels and you read in the reverse order, you're going to come right back through this same line to trace the seed of the woman all the way to the Redeemer, Jesus. When we looked at Cain's life, we noticed that after... The seventh generation, Lamech, is a different Lamech than the one we read here today. We'll talk about that in a bit. But after Lamech, the, the, the line just kind of disappears. It didn't literally disappear. The people continued to live. But its importance in the story of redemption was done because how did Cain live? Cain lived for himself. Cain lived to, in, in essence, overcome the, the, the curse in his own power. He tried to live and be successful and do all of those things in his own strength and his own power and there there was no faith in God, and therefore no redemption. It ended up, of course, in that other Lamech that was the descendant of Cain, who was this violent, tyrannical man who sang his own praises, who was murderous, violent against women. That's where the line of Cain goes. Today we see where the line of Seth goes. It's longer, if you noticed, it's a whole chapter, uh, this genealogy of Seth. There's ten generations here as opposed to seven, but it's this... Thread that's running through to point us to the Redeemer. And so while the Redeemer is the big picture to keep in mind, uh, there's some secondary uh, purposes uh, to this as well. If you notice, uh, there's a pattern in this genealogy. It starts to echo, doesn't it? So and so lived, he had sons and daughters, he lived this many years, and then he did what? He died. And by the time you get to the end, except for Enoch, everybody died. So there's this pattern that we see. This result of our first parent's sin is inescapable. Everybody's going to die. And that's what we see in Genesis 3. Each one died, each of their children died, and so will we. But there are hopes and hints of God's grace even in that. The hope is... The line continues. That was what the promise was. The command, be fruitful and multiply, became a means to carry out what the promise was because the promise was going to come through people. I think sometimes we lose sight of the importance of that. God could have just invaded the planet. You know, Jesus could have come down in a different uh, format other than through the birth, through the line, but God did this for a reason. Hopefully, we'll see some of that by the end of today. You can imagine as each generation came along that they wondered, will this be the one? I mean, I don't think they thought it was going to be thousands of years. And we even see a hint of that in Lamech as he names his son Noah. That this guy, this one, is going to be the one to to offer us relief from the toil and the curse that's on the ground. There was hope in this far-off sense of the gospel coming true. Another purpose of this genealogy is it shows us how God establishes his kingdom. And it's similar to the last, but this is slightly different. God chooses to use people. Ordinary people. People like you and like me. And that should give us some sense of hope. People matter. Every single life matters. If you look at this chain that's being woven together in this genealogy, you recognize that the chain can't be broken for the chain to work. It has to stay connected. And so these lives, the ones that are mentioned, and even the lives that are not mentioned, matter. And so I can say to you today that your life matters. Your story, your experience matters. The good, the bad, and the ugly matter, because in God's providence, it is all a part of his story of redemption that he's weaving together. Now, we would like to say different things to him, wouldn't we? If we're honest, we would like to tell him how our life is to be ordered and structured and how, we, how he should make it matter. But we don't get that prerogative, do we? He chooses to use us. He numbers our days according to his plan, and we are at his mercy. Maybe you look at that in a sense of discouraging, uh, in a way that's discouraging, but there's really a lot of hope in that because it takes the pressure off of us. So genealogies matter. Uh, there is some helpful guidance in the text today. I hope we'll see that as well. One other issue that I want to say up front before we jump into the actual names, and we're not going to go through all of them, don't worry, uh, is that this whole lifespan issue. You notice these, these guys are living kind of a long time, aren't they? Uh, there have been a number of explanations that have been offered through the years. I won't, we're not going to unpack all of those. There's problems and challenges with each one uh, when you begin to look at the overall scheme of Scripture and uh, trying to, to provide these explanations. I take these numbers at face value, and here's why. Those who lived before the flood seem to have some kind of benefit or privilege for a couple of reasons. One, the world was different. The climate was different. The atmosphere was different. We talked about this a little a, few, a little bit a few weeks ago. Uh, the scholars call these the antediluvian fathers, right? These are the pre-flood. And if you notice, and we will when we get to the other genealogies, the lifespans after the flood, immediately after the flood, are cut in half or less. So something dramatic changed there. Uh, was it the protection from the sun's radiation and the change of the atmosphere? Rain hadn't come. Now God makes it rain. He changes things in the atmosphere. The flood itself changes climate. Uh, there's a number of things that happen. We don't have the details on this, but it's at least understandable that things changed in a way that were less favorable to those who were living to the point that they lived half as long as the ones who were just a generation before them. And then the other thing, as I mentioned before, but I'll say it again, is that just genetically... Uh, they, uh, we see an overall decline in lifespan as we move through history. Uh, that genetic um, malformations or whatever, def- not deficiencies, genetic, uh, you know the word I'm thinking of that I can't come up with, but uh, the things that happen as a result of our genes uh, uh, either not working in the way that they should or whatever, uh, uh, the, we experience today, we see that effect. And so Adam and Eve made in perfection, even though they sinned, the, Adam lived 930 years. Uh, they were just, they had better constitution uh, in the sense that uh, their genes were simply better, and over time those uh, decreased. So I don't think the numbers have to trouble us. If we get to heaven and we find out that there was some secret numbering system in this or that they multiplied different or they were counting years different or whatever, it doesn't change the meaning of the story and our lives and the trajectory of our lives won't be changed, so we're going to move on. As I mentioned in our last study, we looked at two different ways to live. The way of Cain is what we saw before. Uh, He did things in a way that were, uh, uh, in, in a sense, kind of American, very individualistic, uh, very self-sufficient. And while that's a good thing, if it's not self-motivated, right, if you're not selfish and you live your life that way, which I think defines the majority of our American history, uh, then it, uh, it produces things that produce growth and so forth. But when it is selfish, uh, when it doesn't consider the needs of others, it's always destructive, isn't it? I mean, you look at this in our own history, uh, you look, whether you look at the issue of slavery, that would be the opposite, wouldn't it? Uh, and it, it, think of the devastation that that left on our country and still marks us today. You think in corporations, when people are selfish, what does that do? I mean, corporations grow and grow and grow, people become selfish. They grow by strength and uh, uh, effort and labor. Um, you think of the number of funerals, and if this a loved one did this, most of the time it's done in jest. Um, so don't be offended by this. But I do think a number of people mean it when they have this song, either sung, played, or read at their funeral. Frank Sinatra's I Did It My Way, right? I mean, that's the mantra of Cain. I did it my way. And so that, that's the epitome of living for self. That was the way of Cain. The second way to live is what we see today. It's in the line of Seth. It's the way of faith. Faith it is by the grace of God, a gift to us. And it's counterintuitive to all of this strength and self-sufficiency that I just described. You know, we want to be contributors. We don't want to be leeches, I hope. We want to overcome. We don't want to be trodden down. We want to reach our full potential. We don't want to grow up to sleep on our parents' couch in the basement, right? We want to be a capable people. This is all well and good, but if that's all we do, it takes us to the same place. The line of Cain and good, self-sufficient, strong people end up, and that's what one of the points of this genealogy is, at the same place. We die. Apart from faith, nothing changes the outcome for either line. Scripture tells us that without faith, it is impossible to please God. And this is where the hope is found. We come not with our merit badges before God. We come with empty hands or we don't come at all. And what do we find when we come begging for the mercy of Christ? We find a Savior who is standing ready to save, full of grace and power. So this is the way we want to live. This is the way we want to go. And this is what we're going to look at today. Chapter 5 opens with the words, long introduction, short sermon. Okay, uh, Chapter 5 opens with the words, this is the book of the generations of Adam. It's very likely Moses was holding this book when he wrote this, that this had been recorded by a separate means. It's a pattern we see throughout Genesis uh, that he possibly compiled from the, the, the data because, of course, Moses wasn't alive in Genesis 1, 2, 3, or even 5. And what we see as we move through Genesis is that each time that a genealogy is introduced, it's with this, this is the book of the generations of. So it's a book of beginnings, right? Genesis is the story of beginnings. It's the same word we get, birth. So you understand why genealogies, this formula, becomes the pattern for the book of Genesis. It's a story of births. Moses then repeats part of the creation story, reminding us... What God had done and how God had made man, male and female, in the image of God. Yeah, the fall had left its mark, but the image had not been removed. And this is important for us to remember. I think this is important for us to remember daily, especially when we see people we don't like, that they're made in the image of God. Remember that they are made in the image of God, and you cannot take that away from them, nor should you. And likewise, so are you. Your worth and your value is not intrinsic to what you have done or haven't done or feel inside. Your worth is given to you by the one who made you, by making you in his image. Now, we already spoke of the pattern of death that we see, and he died. It begins to echo in your head when you read this chapter by itself. As discouraging as that is, there's still some hope in there. Now, we know Adam. Uh, many of us recognize the name Seth, uh, you know, in a Bible trivia sense, not because my name's Seth, but in the sense of if somebody says, who's Seth in the Bible, most of us could say, he's one of the sons of Adam and Eve, or he's the third son of Adam and Eve. Enoch, we, we, most of us could get that one, but then come these names that are a little less significant. Uh, we don't know anything about these other people. Um, we don't know anything other than they're in this line, they lived this many years, they had sons and daughters, And then they died. Some of you, all of you, maybe if we were really honest, it would be all of us. I don't know. But I think many of us desire to leave a legacy, to make an impact, to to leave our mark, to be on the cutting edge of the kingdom's work. And if those things aren't selfishly motivated, those are fine things to want. But here's the good news. God doesn't need you to leave a legacy. God doesn't need you to make an impact or to be on the cutting edge of kingdom work. In fact, what God does often, and I would say more than often, more than the, the, even the majority of the time in the sense of almost all of the time, God uses ordinary people living ordinary lives, doing mundane things in faith, trusting Him. That's typically how God works. If you distill the Scriptures down, uh, and, and, and let's do this for example. If you look at all the people in Scripture, lots of stories, lots of people's names we would remember, we could all agree there are many in those lists that we don't want to be like. Right? So if we distilled it kind of like Hebrews 11 does, the, 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 the hall of faith as we call it, um, that's a shorter, much shorter list. And even those people were sinners, but they, they walked by faith. But they think of all the other people. Were they insignificant? Did they not matter? Of course they did. They were all a part of the story. No one may remember your name, but the conduit of your life is a conduit of grace because of Christ. If you are trusting in Christ, your life becomes a conduit of grace, whether you see it or not, whether you think you have purpose or not. Because of the work of Jesus, your life is significant because He has saved you with His kingdom plan in mind. And let me tell you something, God doesn't waste His resources. God isn't frivolous with His, with his creation. Think of this, most of the names in this list people know, if not their stories. Billy Graham, Elizabeth Elliot, Augustine, Hudson Taylor, Charles Spurgeon, Johnny Erickson Tata. Most of those names are familiar to us. Many of us know the stories of these people's lives. Do you know their parents or their grandparents or their siblings or their aunts or their uncles or their roommates or their third grade teacher? No, in most cases we don't. But yet all of those stories were formed and shaped and even came into being as a result of those people that they are connected to. Lives matter. Most of us want the biography to be written about us. We want to be remembered. We want to leave a noticeable impact. But more often than not, God uses faithful people doing mundane things and living out their faith, trusting their lives to Him to weave the tapestry of beautiful covenant faithfulness. Our God is putting on display His faithfulness, His character for His glory and at the end, his glory is all that matters. That's what genealogies do for us. And as the infomercials say, but wait, there's more. There are a few more things that are worth looking at. There's a couple lives here that stand out that are different. And Enoch is one of them. Enoch breaks the mole. He breaks the pattern. Why? Because he didn't die. Um, we get through the list a little bit more than halfway, and there's this guy named Enoch. What number is he? He's number seven. Uh, In Hebrew, seven is kind of an important number. It's a number of completion, although ten is kind of the ultimate completion, and that's why we see ten in this list. It's very possible there were others in the genealogy that were left out. Genealogies don't always connect all of the dots. A descendant of someone is still the descendant of someone if you leave someone in the middle out, right? You understand it doesn't have to include everybody, and we see that in genealogies. But... Number seven is significant because when we look at number seven in Cain's line, Lamech, who was the epitome of that way of living, we now look at the epitome of the life of faith in Enoch. Lamech was this violent man. Enoch is a man of faith, and it's counterintuitive to the way that we think things should work. You notice Enoch's also the father of Methuselah. And if you've ever played Bible trivia, what's significant about Methuselah? Right, The longest life, right, 969 years. As interesting as those things are, though, they're not what's most important about Enoch and what he's most remembered for. Verse 24 describes how Enoch's life passed from this world into eternity, that he simply did not die. The, the phrasing that we have in our English Bibles is that he was not for God took him. And we might think that we just misunderstood things, in that sense that he still died, it just maybe died in a different way if it wasn't for the explanation that comes in the New Testament that tells us he didn't die. Anybody remember how many other people didn't die? There's one. Elijah. Right? I, th- I think. I mean, I've racked my brain all week, and I can't think of those are the two. Not, so this doesn't happen often. This is kind of a rare thing. So it's worth looking at. It's worth considering. It's radical and, and, and shocking from a human perspective because it doesn't happen often, but think of it from a divine perspective. What is the wages of sin? Death. So the just result of our sinning is death. And were Elijah and Enoch sinners? Of course they were. Were they in the line of Adam? Then they were sinners. Uh, even though Scripture may not have Enoch was a sinner written in its text, we know that they were. And yet... There is this unique grace that is shown to them because the rightful outcome of their sin isn't met. There's no other logical explanation than that this was a work of God's grace. The other significant thing about Enoch is that twice it's stated that he walked with God. And this is what I want us to think about today. This is not describing Enoch's moral uprightness or law-keeping. If it were then we could look at that and say, well, of course, you know, he kind of earned it. He did his part. It was all grace. Do I think Enoch walked uprightly? Yes, I do. But that's not why he found favor with God. Let me explain this. In Hebrews 11.5, the explanation, the exegesis is given for Enoch's life. Hebrews 11.5 says, By faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. Now, the pleasing God that is described here was his faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. In fact, when the Greeks translated the Hebrew Old Testament into Greek, we call that the Septuagint, They actually phrased it in Genesis 5, instead of saying Enoch walked with God, it says Enoch pleased God. That's how that word could be used, and that's how it's treated in the Greek. He walked by faith. And how do I know this? Because the very next verse in Hebrews chapter 11, after the one I just read about Enoch walking by faith, is what? What's Hebrews 11.6? It's what the one I've been saying over and over. Without faith, it's impossible. See how context matters? We all know that Hebrews eleven six. 6, without faith, it's impossible to please God. The context of it was in talking about the life of Enoch. He walked by faith. Faithless law-keeping is just moralism. Faithless piety is just do-goodism. Faithless Christianity is not Christianity at all because without faith, it's impossible to please God. Enoch walked by faith. That is, he walked trusting God in the good and the bad and the ugly. Whatever his 365 years uh, contained, Enoch's hope and trust were in God. And this is the life that we're called to live. It's good news because we know we can't be good enough. We know we can't measure up. And so we are called to trust in Christ alone, who is our righteousness for us. We please God by walking in faith. One more story, very quickly, Noah. It's just the beginning of the story, really, because this story is going to continue to unfold. But at the very end, we get Lamech who has Noah. This is, of course, a different Lamech than the one who descended from Cain. This was number 10. He was the son of Methuselah. And notice what Lamech says about Noah when he's born. He says that he called his name Noah in verse 29, saying, Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. I wouldn't have thought of the great flood as being relief. (laughs) You know, Lamech didn't know that was coming. And yet this was the outlook of this line of faith. Not knowing what the future held, they were trusting God to keep his promises. And so he names his son with that hope. This is going to be the one that's going to relieve us from the pain. And Noah was in that line. The story would continue even though he wouldn't be the one it's interesting, and we'll unpack this more in the coming weeks. But he becomes, we see it, uh, an image of salvation in the story of the great flood. Remember, man's evil increased uh, more and more so that God chose to judge the earth, and that he called Noah out, set him aside. And he had Noah build an ark before the rain ever fell, all while being mocked by his friends and neighbors, had him call the animals entered the ark. And the ark of wood, then, is a gift of God, both in the command and in the design that would be a means of salvation of Noah's family in the animal kingdom that would point to Christ and his salvation. And then following the great flood, God establishes a covenant with him that he would never destroy the world by, by flood again. And it's really just a reminder of the bigger covenant of grace that God is going to redeem a people for Himself. See, by preserving the world, by not cutting man off completely, the promise could continue. Had God destroyed man completely, it would have broken the line. The promise wouldn't have continued. So from the line of Noah then would come the Messiah, born of a woman, to save us from our sins. And Lamech hoped certainly that it would be sooner than later, but God's timing is always perfect. He's never late. He's rarely early, right? So the story of God's faithfulness in Genesis 5 is a story that you and I need to hear today. We need a genealogy. I hope that you've been encouraged by that. It's not simply a boring list of people if we read it with eyes of faith. Instead of a boring list of people, we see a God who delivers on His promises. We see a God who is pleased when people trust Holy, completely in Him. We see a God who desires us to walk with Him in relationship, confessing our sins, praying our concerns, handing Him our heavy burdens to carry. And we see a God who gives us an incredible legacy that we can never make for ourselves, a legacy of His kingdom, a legacy that will never fade away. The point of the text and the point of my sermon is not to try harder and to do better. The point is to trust the one who made the promise, who carried the promise to completion and holds us in the promise today. The point of this is trust in Jesus. Walk by faith trusting Him. He's numbered our days and the hairs on our head. That means that you won't outlive your usefulness. So as long as you have breath, you have purpose. That means that you won't die before the time that he has appointed, so you needn't fear death. It means that everything you need is known by him and will be provided at the perfect timing. And it means that while he doesn't give you the answers to all of your whys and he doesn't give you all of your wants and wishes, he gives you something far better. He gives you himself. He gives you a gift that will never fade away. And this is the reason this is so much better, is because He will be with you when the end comes. That's who you'll meet when the end comes. That's why the gift is so much better. So when your whys and your wants and your wishes will all melt away, Jesus will remain. And if you trust in Him, that is all that will matter. He is enough. He's more than enough. Walk with Him today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that we would walk with you in faith, that wherever we are in life and whatever we're facing, the good, the bad, the ugly, that we would recognize that, that you are the one that can answer all the questions, that can satisfy all the desires, that can fix all that is broken, that can redeem all that has been lost, and you're it. So regardless of how great we feel at the moment or how much purpose we think we have, cause those those, those things to be cast aside, that we would look and see the magnificent beauty of Jesus and fully trust Him today, that we would walk by faith, that we would walk through the muck and the mire, trusting You, that we would walk through the good and the plentiful, trusting You. Give us these hearts that walk by faith, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.